Welcome to In the Principal's Office. I'm Angie Dillman, a high school principal. And I'm Michelle Liu, an assistant principal. And if you've ever wondered about the conversations that go on behind closed doors of a principal's office, then you've come to the right place. Hey, Angie, how are you? I'm great, Michelle. How are you? Good. This is right before we go on our winter break. It feels kind of festive, even though we're not going anywhere. It does. We always record on Friday afternoons, and this feels like the most afternoon of any Friday Oh ever. my God. It feels amazing. All week, I just kept thinking, Angie, just get till Friday, and then you can spend a couple of weeks not thinking about work, which is so needed at the moment. It really is. It's just so strange how we spend so many days working from home, but we still need such a big break. Yeah, I agree. Normally, whenever we have a break, I'm out of here. I'm in a different country. I'm in a different state. I'm traveling and it feels really stifling just staying at home. We both love to travel and I've had so many trip ideas thinking like, oh, I can do this on spring break or, you know, I have always a few weeks in the summer I can do this. And during Thanksgiving, we have a whole week off (laughs) and it's amazing to have a job where you have so many breaks and you can make plans. You know, we don't usually have things that come up out of the blue where we have to cancel vacations because school's open or it's closed. We have that academic calendar that tells us exactly what's what. That's been nice, but we both miss traveling, especially because we have two weeks and in my mind I'm like man I should be going somewhere why am I staying home in the spirit of that (laughs) it might be good to do an episode and just talk about our experiences traveling working with students working in the school system because we both had that experience so we thought that might be fun to share yeah or at least fun for us to talk about it is (laughs) we can I'm I'm gonna just live vicariously through my previous travels (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Because I would love to go to Israel someday. And I know you're going to tell us about your time in Palestine, right? And I don't know if I ever mentioned this. My husband, his family's from El Salvador, but his mom, her mom is from El Salvador, but her dad is from Palestine. So one of these days when it's safe, I just can't wait to talk to them. I have such an admiration for the people from that region, for the culture there, because I did spend about six weeks there and I worked with the school systems. My first experience being a teacher was teaching English as a foreign language in Europe and I was a teacher in Poland and I was a teacher in Italy and two very different experiences yeah culture wise they were extremely different but especially given the time probably now less so I mean Italy's always Italy which is pretty (laughs) phenomenal I know just (laughs) fabulous but when I taught in Poland it was 1998 and 1999 that school year And that's just a seven years after the fall of communism. Wow. So it was a different place. Even just recently, I was, I guess it's because I miss traveling. I was looking on Google Earth and I was trying to find my old apartment building. (laughs) And it's like, they must have redone the roads. There are like freeways. The only way I could tell where I was on the map was from the train line. It's totally transformed. Totally transformed. I think there's like a Starbucks down the street and a shopping mall and a movie theater. (laughs) And uh, that was not my experience. Every single place I've gone, I'm talking about in Cambodia or any other country that you would think wouldn't have things like Starbucks, they do. It's amazing. When I travel abroad, I really like to eat the local food and try different things. But I've also had like really extended trips, like you said, six weeks. Yeah. And 
I think that embarrassingly, I have been to a McDonald's in so many countries. Uh, so have I. I don't even <laughs> eat McDonald's here, like rarely. Yeah. But after days and days and days of something that is so different, there's something comforting about a little taste of home every once in a while. No, there really is. Ironically, a little taste of home that we don't eat at home, yeah. but when we're abroad, it's exactly what we need. <laughs> Very true. Very true. So one of the things when I was a teacher in Poland, I don't remember there being a McDonald's. There there wasn't a McDonald's in the city where I worked, uh, which is Gdańsk. Gdańsk is really famous in history for a couple of reasons, probably way before this. It's a really ancient city. It's a port on the Baltic Sea. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the crossroads between Western Europe, Sweden, Russia. It's right in the middle of the action in that regard. You could argue that World War II started in a few different areas, but this is where the Germans invaded. They Mm. invaded Gdańsk, and that's when Britain and France declared war on Nazi Germany. They're important in that regard. And then much later, when we talk about the fall of communism, uh, maybe a a lot of our listeners have heard of Solidarity or Solidarność, which mm-hmm. is a Polish labor union. And one of the electrical workers who worked in the shipyard, the Lenin shipyard in Gdańsk, was Lech Wałęsa, and he really led anti-communist movements and ended up being a president of Poland after the fall of communism. Wow. And his house was on the street of my school. How long were you in Poland? I was in Poland for one school year. So, wow. you know, like August to June, something like that. Wait, can you say something in Polish? Do you remember any of the language? <laughs> sure. Let's see. I can order a half kilo of chicken breast. <laughs> kilo of chicken breast I don't know why that makes me laugh but anything like half kilo like I don't know oh god like pol kilo kurcha piers that sounds fabulous to me <laughs> but I was debating did I say chicken breast or chicken pepper but I said chicken breast pieps is pepper and pierce is breast <laughs> Bringing up the kilo thing, most of the world uses that system. When I was in Palestine and I worked really closely with a woman at their ministry of education and she knows that I love some of the spices there. So the very last day she takes me into a spice shop and I'm following her around. And and this happened a lot because I don't know the language very well. So I was following her around and she got me a kilo of za'atar seasoning to bring back home. Oh my gosh. But that's why I giggle, right? Because I think I think about movies and I'm like, oh, a kilo of drugs or a kilo of something. So here I am bringing home a kilo of Zatar seasoning. Kilo of Zatar. And (laughs) I just recently finished all of the seasoning. I I just finished a kilo of Zatar seasoning. It's been three years. I I have Zatar in my pantry. It's good. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. And it's so fragrant. Also, it's nostalgic because every Mm -hmm. time I look at it, I think of her. I think of my time there. Can you think of ways that being there really shaped and changed who you were? Perceptions, perspectives, even who you are. In a lot of ways, I think that I really learned how to be a teacher in Poland. I had Mm. a really good head of school and she, you know, I was teaching a language, but what she taught me is true for any class that I've taught. You know, you need to make sure that students have the opportunity to speak to listen to read and to write in every single class yeah and I know that when you get to high school you know you think about reading writing in a different way you're just reading more complex things you're preparing students to analyze more and to write at a more sophisticated level I think that that has held true but especially like the listening and the speaking we don't necessarily think about that as a skill 
but listening is now a skill on the SBEC test that every right. student is tested on, not just English learners. Gosh, how many times have we not been a good listener even? Well, I was just life? I was just thinking about that. I mean, this whole thing about active listening that they teach you about, not kids, but adults, how to be an active listener. If you Google that, there's so many articles about how to listen better. I think, you know, you're teaching and it's difficult and it's a private school. So there's a lot of high expectations. I learned a lot about making connections with students, how important that is, how important it is to be yourself and not try to be that professional like we've talked about before. <laughs> I came to Poland with the most embarrassing what I thought were teacher clothes. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Wait, so what did you think were teacher clothes at that time? I thought I had to wear like skirts and maybe a jacket or yeah, something. Yeah, like and but, flats, like nice yes. little proper flats or something like that. I had to walk through the snow to get to this school. <laughs> There's a lot of walking and train catching and tram catching to get to that job. But I ended up just wearing regular, what I'd learned were regular teacher clothes, jeans and a sweater. I learned a lot about the importance of connecting to people and being yourself and to really fine tuning how to use those classroom minutes to best effect mm. and to make sure that students are interacting with each other. And that is the key. That yeah. is when they have the most fun. That's when they get to practice. They make connections. And yeah. that's when they love coming to that class. Exactly. They and take ownership. They I think do. that's that all that and, all fits in. And I learned that in my in my first year uh, there in Poland. Then when I went to Italy, I learned that teenagers are teenagers, <laughs> no matter if you are in Ohio or Poland or Italy or California, <laughs> there is just something so deep and true about the teenage experience. And I think it's just that adolescence part. I mean, obviously, we all have different influences. Man, there is just something that is so deeply similar. At that age. <laughs> what grades were you working with in Poland? I worked at a private school. So my youngest age group was probably like 11 and 12. Oh, okay. 11. And then I to my upper classes were a mix between early high school, maybe like 13 to adults. Oh, okay. And they, and they were taking classes for all kinds of different reasons. They kind of had a school system like New York City, PS1, PS80. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. They had a system really similar to that in Gdańsk. One of the schools was an, an immersion. It, everything yeah. was in English and it was yeah. elite. You had to apply to get in and your English skills had to be really good because all your academics were in English. Yeah. So a lot of my students were trying to get into that school. Some of my students were in that school and some of my students, they wanted to study English at university yeah. or they needed it for their job. Yeah. So it was nice. all kinds of different reasons. Wow. That's a lot of experience. Hey, did they ever ask you something that you, it just showed you what the perceptions of people have of Americans? <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like, for example, I know people have asked me when I've traveled, Oh, so do you see a lot of celebrities? Like what celebrities have you met and I'm like um none <laughs> they asked me if like there were cowboys where I live because oh I, I wasn't from California then I was from Ohio yeah. so it's like cowboys. it's not New York or California or Florida it's right cowboys cowboys so me about cowboys and they asked me this was 1998 so they said uh Levinsky you know that's a Polish name <laughs> <laughs> Levinsky's a Polish name yeah. oh I love that so that that came up a few times but they were cool they were fun they were fun but they definitely were really impacted by all those years of communism mm. because school was very much an arm of the state. Oh, interesting. Because everything was so prescribed and rule driven mm -hmm. that you didn't have a political voice. Okay. So the only way you could kind of get back or be independent or have some control over your life was to be defiant in really subtle ways. Ah. 
things like cheating, mm-hmm. it was a national pastime. That was probably <laughs> the biggest cultural difference. My kids would tell me about what they did at school and like these big cheating scandals oh and like how sophisticated gosh. they were. And they were proud of them. Right. Like so awesome. It, and then yeah. I was horrified, you know, in America, like yeah. I'm sure where people are cheating all the time, but like we're a nation of rules. We like baseball. That's yeah. like 99% rules, 1% action. <laughs> yeah. That's our national pastime. I have and to I agree it. with that. Yeah, me too. I love, I love watching baseball. <laughs> so I think those things, they just couldn't understand why cheating was such a deep, huh. big deal to me. Wow. And like they were like, who cares? Who yeah. cares if you cheat on a test? Right. Like you're getting away with something. Living yeah. in a place where everything is so regulated, to be subversive that way made them feel proud because they were exercising freedom, right? For them, I'm sure it's like this freedom, this thing that they get to do and, and they got away with it and, and they're proud of that, that sense of ownership and self. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. And that's exactly what it was. And it was just one of the most eye-opening differences oh, this is how Americans are different. This is part of our culture, right. playing by the rules. Right. And I just took it for granted. That was a value everywhere. But then to understand why mm. cheating was kind of admired at that time in Poland mm-hmm. among students, you know, they're teenagers. Yeah. This. But, you know, it was just really different. Can you imagine if someone put out pay on the honor system? Forget it. <laughs> Don't do that there. Yeah. <laughs> that might not exa- be. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I bet you if you had told them about the honor system and how sometimes that happens here, they probably would been like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard like why would anybody do that (laughs) exactly yeah and then my students they were most interested in my experiences out in Poland they wanted to know what like what did you see and I would tell them I was on the train and I was starting to stand up because my stop was coming and I'm kind of speaking slowly because they're learning English but they're pretty advanced yeah and I said do you know the moment where you don't stand up? Because the train comes in, stop. Uh-huh. It goes and stop. It like jerks to a stop. And everyone was like, yes, that moment where they stop <laughs> one more time and you're not ready for it. And you're really <laughs> so this guy started falling and his arms are like, oh no, like, like windmill. windmill. He falls right on me. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they loved it. Yeah, they I'm sure they hilarious. did. Yeah. And then they were saying like, you know, it's a very Polish thing. You have to greet the store owner when you come in. You have to say oh, hello. Okay. You have to say hello and you have to take a basket. It doesn't matter if you need the basket, you take the basket. So I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I always would go in and I'd take the basket. There's always one by the door and you yeah. always say hello. And my student said like, say hello. We want to hear you say it. And I said, Jin <laughs> dobry. And they're like, oh, that's better than I thought. Like, they were like, oh, bomb. <laughs> yeah, they, they were like, man, we really want to just keep making fun of you about I that know. and teasing yeah. you about that. As you're talking, that's what I miss about being in a classroom. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same, right? Exactly the same. Students want to know that you have a real life. You're not going to spend the whole class talking about it, yes. but they like hearing about your yes. real life yes. and being a real person. Do they speak Arabic in Palestine? Yeah. Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. speak Arabic. Yeah. And that's, it's tough to pick up. Yeah. It was really tough and I didn't pick up that much. So I worked with the Ministry of Education in Palestine, in the West Bank, and I worked in Ramallah. Ramallah is the capital of Palestine and it's right outside of Israel. So it was really interesting because I wasn't deep into the heart of the West Bank. I was mm-hmm. right there at the border where I would, you know, on the weekends when I had time off, I would take the bus 
bus. I'd cross the border in between the West Bank and Israel, which in itself, it's just such a impactful experience, <laughs> you yeah. know, being able to do that. They paired me up with someone at the Ministry of Education who spoke English really well. Mm -hmm. And she was a badass. She oh, was a cool. mom. Oh, yeah. She's a mom. She had her wow. doctorate already. She had two young kids. She was pregnant. And she was so smart and yeah. so generous. Generous in spirit to me. I shared my office with her and she has this tiny office. They don't have a lot of resources. The Ministry of, course, of Education, yeah. there's not a lot of resources there. Things are very tight. And she let me sit with her on her little desk. So we had two chairs pulled up to this tiny desk. She would bring things from home like to eat and she would share that with me. And the one thing that I learned right away when I was there was the hospitality and generosity of spirit of the Palestinian yes. people is so welcoming. Whatever we have, we're going to share. The other fun thing, because I know we were talking like culture and, and what was different. Every time that you sit down with someone or you have a meeting with someone, they bring tea or they bring Turkish coffee. And if you know anything about Turkish coffee, it's, oh yeah, oh my goodness, it's very thick and super strong. And in the beginning, I would have a lot of meetings throughout the day. I'm not a particular coffee drinker. I don't like coffee in general, but I'm going to drink the coffee because I, I think that's really important. So anyway, I would go there and I, every time I'd have a meeting, I would take three or four sips of whatever coffee they would bring. And I I remember the first week I'm like why am I not sleeping is this jet lag I must be jet lagged like but this is really bad oh my god Michelle you've been drinking coffee constantly throughout the that you're day. not used to yeah it's Turkish coffee was it like oh. in a glass with that decorative metal holder around the glass yeah and, oh, and, and and even though it was small we could say like a shot glass or something like that very small yeah. cup but man and they have somebody this part was also really cool so their job is to do things like serve guests coffee, serve guests tea, keep refilling, bring the snacks, which is amazing. Honestly, I ate so yeah. many snacks there. They would just constantly refill. So every time I take a couple sips to be polite, they'd refill it. And then I'm like, oh no, I have to take more sips. And then they'd oh, refill yeah. it. Yeah. You so, <laughs> so I stayed in an apartment and the landlord of this apartment, I rented it. He lived above me. He came down and he would check on me every day. The wife would oh. bring me bread. They gave me a tour of the neighborhood because I didn't drive. So I had to have an apartment that I could walk to the office. The very first day I had a map and they also wrote in Arabic the address where I was going in case I got lost and right. of course I got lost because as my daughter will tell anybody as she gleefully tells people I should say I get lost using Google Maps like she's like mom <laughs> you're not even listening to Google Maps I'm like I know you're right because for whatever reason I still think I can do it myself but I can't so I had a map and I was like man so the first time I walked to the office and I'm lost like I'm really lost yeah and I'm looking around and you know no one really speaks English and Were I have all of the signs in Arabic yeah and all of the signs oh, are wow. in Arabic and it's very busy right because this is the capital yeah. city so it's really hustling and bustling and I go and I'm looking around and I'm asking a couple shopkeepers and I'm showing them the map and they're just kind of like oh no I don't know so finally yeah. I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it was like a city worker he was a city yeah. worker yeah. so he looks at it he doesn't speak English but he looks at it and I show him the address and he gestures to me to follow him so he leaves his station his job he's working he walks me all the way to the office oh, and I, wow. I'm telling you Angie of course, I was so grateful because I could feel my anxiety kind of, you yes, know, as I'm yes. getting it's like scary. more and more less. Yeah. yeah. And he walked me over there and I told him thank you. And he just kind of like waved at me and he walked right back to his station. And I knew that would happen during the first week that I was there. And I knew I said, OK, this yeah. is a place I'm going to love. These are people that I'm really going to like to get to know. And I think the one thing I learned is that, as you said, teenagers are the same everywhere. 
People are decent anywhere you go. Yes, they are. Shukran. Yeah. Is that Arabic? Shukran. Yes, that's Shukran. thank you. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. look at you, Angie. Angie can speak Polish and Arabic. No, dziękuję <laughs> no, is Polish for thank you. But literally, I know I'm sorry and thank you in a whole bunch of languages. <laughs> I'm sorry and thank you. That's like the best. That's all you need to know when you go to other countries. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. I kind of wanted to mention that when I went to Poland, there was this idea of the Soviet bloc yeah. behind the Iron Curtain about what people would be like and they're just people even that thing where cheating was kind of like a national pastime where it's right. like just what can you get away with yeah not in a way to do something bad mm-hmm. or hurtful not at all and they're just people and i yeah. think like when you talk about like a political divide and people having opinions about you know a place like palestine absent of all of the politics the people yes are just real people trying yeah. to make it day to day how my perception has changed is that i don't even see people as different we come from different places we might have different customs but essentially people are the same like we all want to be seen we want to be heard we want to be loved we want the best for our family we want to feel purpose in life these are the common themes no matter where I've traveled no matter who I've talked to you know I got to hang out with the doctors and the elite I also had conversations with the people that serve the tea that serve the coffee my coworker, she is so generous that she said to me she's like do you want to spend a weekend in my country home and you can oh, stay wow. with oh my she made the best food for me and she introduced me to her brother-in-law and her sister it really showed me firstly that my life is so easy and I cannot complain about anything because there's so much more going on with other people but it also really shows me that we all want the same thing when I'm sitting there yeah. playing with her kids and they're sharing and they're asking me about my own life I'm showing them pictures of my dog we're the same yes <laughs> yes exactly it's so true I think everybody just wants to make their way in the world and do the best they can and you're right like you go around the world it's just stunning how helpful people are yeah that's another thing that was mentioned I think sometimes you know Americans have all kinds of reputations abroad yeah but one of my students in Italy he said he had done business in America and he said that Americans are so helpful really okay so friendly he would be in the airport and he was reading a sign and he's like I can read the sign you know I'm I'm learning English to advance my career but I can read an airport sign right right and he said person after person after person stopped and asked if they could help me I love that generosity of Americans and you know I'm from the Midwest so we are very friendly you are friendly you're markedly friendly in a very not in a weird fake way in such an authentic way I believe that for sure and I think you find that around the world you know sometimes when you're only traveling to big cities yeah. you don't see that because we don't see it in our big cities right but when you get to know people on a yes. one-to-one basis like that that is such a unique experience did you mention why you were in Palestine how you got there because that didn't like we we buried the lead on this one <laughs> well I was, was hoping kind of, I was... Big, kind of a big deal <laughs> yeah I was there because I was awarded a, a Fulbright I got a distinguished award in teachings it's a program that you have to apply for so the way it works with a Fulbright distinguished award in teaching you get to spend an extended period of time in another country working specifically on a project. Fulbright has connections with other countries and those countries propose projects. So for example, it could be South Korea, they might need a dance teacher to come and work on dance curriculum. So every year, because I love traveling, right? Having an experience with education, like that's the best of both worlds. So every year I would look at the application when it came out and finally it was in 2017, an application came out and it had special ed because nothing ever had special ed. And not only just special ed for moderate severe, working with students with autism and consulting 
helping with helping the program and seeing what they needed and being able to train people there. So I saw that and I applied and I, you know, I saw it said West Bank. And at that point I had no reference point myself other than what I saw in the news. And I was like, I'll never get it. I do this whole application process and it's a long process. In total, it took six months between applying and then I'll finding out that I got it. And every month they would send an email, an update email saying, oh, you're still in the running. And I'm just like, that's never going to happen. And so finally when I went for the final interview and I went and then I found out I got it, like part of me was, of course, so excited. But the other part of me was terrified. I got to go to the West Bank. (laughs) Yeah. No, really. That's how I felt. I was like, oh no, I have to go to the West Bank. And it was also, oh no, they're going to think I'm an expert at helping them with their special ed program. But I don't know anything, you know, that actually started two things for me after that trip that started my journey into thinking, okay, maybe I want to be an administrator. The other thing that started for me, it really sparked my interest in social emotional learning. Those are the turning points from that trip. You said something that I have never forgotten. You know, this was just a casual conversation we were having about your experience there. And you were talking to me about because of the trauma that every single student experiences, they all need special services. Like, yes. What was that like? There's many things in their school system where they need a lot more resources. You know, they might be a little bit behind because of the circumstances. So I was working with the Ministry of Education, but they asked me when I was there, they said, hey, like, do you want to go in the field? Because they control 17 districts within the West Bank do you want to drive to different cities in the West Bank and visit districts? Yeah. And of course I'm like, yes, yes. I do. And this is why I I'm here. here. <laughs> exactly. I met with teachers, you know, I, this was during the summer. So school unfortunately wasn't in session. They follow kind of a schedule that we do, but some schools were, I went to some private schools, but I was able to meet special education teachers. I was able to talk to them. And that's when I noticed social and emotional learning is infused through every part of their curriculum and their school culture because every single person there has a story about trauma just because of where they live. Teachers would tell me, oh my gosh, there was this one, she had gotten like International Teacher of the Year and she was telling me the story about she was caught in this crossfire between some soldiers at at a border crossing and how traumatizing that was for her. And I think that's why it's not a sell. Right. It's not like we have to convince anybody that social emotional learning is important. I remember going into this class. It was like a second grade class and they were doing summer school. Everything's done in Arabic, but it's interesting because I think you just pick up contextually. So that was happening. And (laughs) isn't that funny? You can. Yeah. No, it really is. I remember one time I was talking to one of the uh, superintendents of this district and I was listening to what he was saying, but I could kind of understand and they would translate periodically, but I'm nodding. He said something to me in Arabic and then the translator looked at me and laughed. She goes, he thinks that you understand everything he's saying. <laughs> and I think I'm just a really good active listener. So I went to this room and I and I saw this boy and, and the teacher was talking to him and he was talking out loud and then one of the other students said something and gestured towards the wall and I look over at the wall and it had a bunch of Arabic words and so the boy goes over there and he picks up a word it was Velcro to the wall and he goes to the front and they're talking they're talking and I didn't want to interrupt because I could definitely tell it was like a serious conversation right it was they were really into the lesson and then later on I asked the translator what had happened and she said that was their feelings wall the teacher could tell this boy was just seemed out of sorts and so she asked him hey how are you feeling like why don't you talk about it this other student said go to the wall pick you know your emotion he picked the emotion and then they had a discussion about it wow yeah that is like oh my gosh yes like 
Wow, exactly. That's really, that's really amazing. I think that we are learning more and more about trauma-informed practices yes. for all kinds of reasons. Just because we're more aware of what kids bring to school with them, this pandemic that we're in right now, that is going to cause a great deal of anxiety and concern. And we don't know the loss that everyone's had. Yeah. You know, it's not, it maybe not feel like as immediate as the violence that they see in right. the West Bank, but it's this lurking fear. And I think that we really have a lot to learn and, and ways to grow, yeah. especially for our students who aren't as good at talking about their feelings. So when I came back from that experience, I started researching a little on my own about social emotional learning. I got involved in some of the things that my former district was doing, some committees and some ways that they were starting social emotional learning. That experience on the Fulbright in the West Bank in Palestine changed the trajectory of my career. I believe that. Wow. Yeah. So travel changed your life. Travel changed my life as it changed yours. (laughs) You didn't like teaching. You thought. No, heck no. I was in Poland to travel and have a cool experience, right. which I did. Yes. But man, I fell in love with teaching and I fell in love with working with teenagers. That's yeah. Amazing. That's a pretty big one, right? Following in love with working with teenagers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Where'd that come from? <laughs> you know, it's just a group that I feel like I get and I relate to. And yeah. I think that it's just a really fun age. This is where it all comes together. This is yeah. the culmination of everything that we've been working for as it is. educators. We don't know how kids are going to feel and the awareness around social and emotional learning and mental health and wellness. I am so grateful for all of the experiences I've had. It wasn't comfortable to go there on my own. It was an adjustment. And I'm right. so grateful for that. This is what it could be. This is what it could look like. And and having that reference point is really nice. So you're welcome when, you know, a few months ago, I was like, hey, Michelle, you want to design a wellness program? <laughs> yes. You said you like that. So. Yeah, right. You're like, I've heard you mention a couple times SEL. <laughs> no, but it's true. As I've mentioned so many times, building a wellness program was at the end of my tenure at as principal. I wanted to have an established wellness program. Yeah. And I think that just so many things that have happened, including the pandemic and school closure, have provided us with these unforeseen opportunities. Yes. And that's a huge one. Being able to provide those services for our students and grow and get better about at what we're doing and having wellness eventually woven into our practices like you saw in yeah. Spain. Using this time, it's just their sense of urgency of let's do this. Our kids are going to need yes. it. Yeah. Yes. And There's they a need huge it sense of it. We'll have to talk a little bit about mental health one day in another episode. Love to. And to talk about that journey, that journey yeah. of what we're doing at the school. Man, I think people talk to me a lot about, oh, what's the benefits of travel? And mm-hmm. It opened my mind. It made me uncomfortable. It challenged me in many ways. And it showed me that in the end, we're all human beings. And that is a unifying thing. I think there is just something so deeply true about what you mentioned. There's a human experience. Yes. And that is so universal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I think it's a good, good time to end our our episode on that note. Absolutely. If you like travel, you should probably like this episode. (laughs) If you like this episode, don't forget to rate us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this show. It'll help others find us. Yeah. And you can follow us on Instagram at in the principal's office pod and on Twitter at principal's pod. And we'll see you next time in the principal's office. Mm -hmm.